Charlie Albone and welcome to episode one of season two of That's How We Grow in partnership with Steel Garden Power Tools. Yes, just like your favourite annual, we are back for a second season. Thank you for all your positive feedback and reviews on our first season, which was actually our pilot season, not just here in Australia, but globally. And it was so well received that we simply had to come back to continue discussing gardening with all of you and some of our incredible guests. Speaking of our lineup for this season, it is very exciting, one of which I'm very excited to start chatting with in just a moment. She is, of course, Australia's own Samantha Armitage. Australia knows Sam for her time hosting Sunrise and many other programs, but a lot don't know she's just gone through a tree change and is trying her luck with an Australian native garden. A native country garden brings with it some beautiful, almost romantic thoughts for a garden designer like me. You've got so many opportunities to design a garden just for you. Space and access is rarely restricted, leaving the imagination to run wild. I can smell the fresh country air as I talk about it. I can see where my veggie plot is, where I plant my favourite trees, and so much more. But there can be challenges a country gardener must face that people in the city wouldn't consider. There's bushfires, a lack of water, and a range of animals that want to come in and feed on your garden, from cattle, horses, hungry rabbits, and even wombats. I can't wait to discuss Sam's beautiful garden and how she loves to get outside and embrace her country surrounds. Samantha Armitage, welcome to That's How We Grow. I have to ask you straight off the bat, are you a morning person still or or no longer? Well, good morning, Charlie. (laughs) And um, I... Yes, I am still a morning person, but not a 3am person, thank God. That would have so, been hideous. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because as soon as I left Sunrise and I moved to the country, mm-hmm. um, I, I went straight back to normal sleep. I can really sleep in now till 6 or even 7, so that's oh, quite good. That would be bliss. I've got two young boys. Sleeping in till 7 would be a, a real treat. I know. <laughs> no, and after all those years of getting out of bed at 3am, you know, everyone sort of warned me to do terrible things to your body clock, but... I just bounce straight back to normal. But I do miss working and being productive. But I'm going mm-hmm. back into I'm doing Farmer Wants a Wife. I'm doing a bit yes. of horse racing. So I'm doing things I really love. It's a fun time in my life. Oh, that's good. And, and when you stepped out of Sunrise, you moved out to the country. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Do they go hand yes. in hand? So tell yes. me a bit about that move. <laughs> Well, I was always a country girl at heart and I spent my whole career because I had to in Sydney because, you know, when you're a a television journalist, you have to be in the city. You can't do that from home. So I had spent um, over 20 years, you know, I'd been to boarding school in Sydney. I'd been to university in in Bathurst, so I'd kind of gone back to the country for that. And then I'd had to be in Sydney and I used to do all these interviews as my star rose and people became interested and I'd always sort of talk about going back to the country one day and I didn't know how that was going to work for me, but I knew mm. I needed to do that and I needed to have be able to put my hands in the soil. It's very important to me for my health and happiness that I yes. connect with the, the earth and that I have get my hands dirty and that I have a garden. Mm. And so then um, finally, you know, I met Rich and he's a, he's a farmer and was living in the country and then I decided to leave Sunrise and mm-hmm. just all sort of work together. So I, I moved into his, but we're on 100 acres near Barrel right. uh, with horses and dogs and lots of kangaroos, a really big kangaroo population out here. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Huge wombat population. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of native animals and probably a little bit, bit of control needed. Um, but it's, it's wonderful for me and we'll, we'll get into it, but I, I, ha- I have a different sort of garden now that I've, I've married my husband and moved into his house. And um, can I just tell you, I have to just do a little um, 
shout out to you, a little fangirl thing. Nice. Um, Rich is a very big fan. I'm a very big fan of you and, and what you do in the garden. Richard is a very big fan of Still. And- is he? <laughs> Good man. Uh, yes, I just have to add this in here. He, uh, all of his gear, the whippersnipper that I refuse to use, yes, and all of the garden equipment is still. And and I love I, it's all the battery stuff. It's so great oh. these days because I love the leaf blower. I don't even use a broom anymore. So he's moved to battery because yes. you find on a, on a larger property, some people are still stuck on on uh, petrol powered stuff. But I think battery is the way to go for sure. No, but I think battery is the way to go for two. And if you can have one on the charge and one in the machine. And because we have the stables as well, so you've got some really heavy-duty blowing yeah. to do with a leaf blower down there. Mm. And so he bought this um, this big steel one that I really love too now. Yeah, it's addictive, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it yeah. is. And it, you it literally, I mean, I remember as a kid just watching mum with the broom on the veranda every day, you yeah. know, and now I just think, oh my God, who are you kidding yeah. with a broom? So, <laughs> so what was your garden like in the city compared to your garden now? Well, my city garden was uh, very, very minimal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was living in a house in North Bondi and I did the best I could with, the, it was on that sandstone um, plateau under the the cliff in the north of North Monday. So you couldn't really grow much. And when I inspected it, it had AstroTurf in the backyard. I thought, oh God, but you know, (laughs) it was sandstone, you know, there was nothing that was really going to go, going to grow out there. So I did little things that you can do in the city. Like I did pots. Mm -hmm. I did a lily pilly hedge along the front for mainly for privacy. Um, But even doing that, you know, even watering something like that, having, you know, hedging that, having it there, keeping it green, keeping the bugs off. I just love pottering, um, yes. but it was very low compared to some of the gardens you've done. It was very low maintenance. Well, it's so difficult to grow in Bondi because you've got the salty air, you've got terrible soil, mm. and it's and it's really small. So your mm. your plants are stressed out, and you're constantly battling stuff. So it's not ideal for a gardener. Great place to live, no. <laughs> but not ideal for a gardener. Look, Did you look great. after that place? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> because oh, I because I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I used hmm. to think I should get someone in to do this professionally, but um, I just never did because I did like doing it. But I, but you know, it was. I think the garden you have sort of suits who you are at the time. You know, as a young single career girl, hmm. I didn't have a lot of time, and I'd grown up uh, on the Monero down in the Snowy Mountains. With a, my mother was the most brilliant gardener. I've inherited it from her, although she mm-hmm. was a lot better than me and a lot more knowledgeable. But I'd grown up with, you'll love this, English gardens. We just, you know, we lived at, at Bolero Station at Adamity yes. for 25 years and we had a very English garden, which I now look back on and I think about the water that was poured into the <laughs> English garden <laughs> yes. on the Monero, which is one of the harshest regions in the country Uh, and then mum and dad after 25 years moved to the Riverina to a property out past Wagga and again mum cultivated an English garden so it was all roses and lavender and you know, ironically, now I've married a man with the surname Lavender. But I was going to mention that, but yes. <laughs> you brought well, it up. Isn't, yeah. isn't it perfect? My old mate Paul <laughs> Bango sent me a message when um, he heard we'd got married. He's like, I love this bloke. I haven't met him, but I love him. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was all gardenias and camellias and petunias and geraniums in pots. It was all colour. It was beautiful. Yes. You know, mum had a, a row of mop-top rabinias out on the back uh, fence line sort of mm. hiding the... the 
ugly bits of the paddock and, you know, clumps of silver birches and crab apples and um, Bucks's hedges, for goodness sake, on the yeah. Riverina, which I know. can you imagine the water? It's, it's a funny thing us gardeners do. You know, when, when you really want something, you just try and make it grow. Like I love mm. Japanese peonies, can't grow them, but every year I, I try it. <laughs> you know, just I know. Because, well, this year I, it might be different. Yeah. yeah. I know. Well, and that's the thing about gardeners is there's always hope, isn't there? <laughs> and I, well, I get the guilts when I, I have to throw something out or I see it's dead or it hasn't worked. And I'm looking out the window right now at some pots that I've planted here near barrel of hmm. um, bulbs that I'm just hoping for a bit of colour in spring and they're not looking terribly healthy. So well, it's <laughs> I'm been not very so good. Wet. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, if you've got the desire for it, you, you do, you learn and you, and you only learn through killing things. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, and it makes Charlie. great compost. You do. You well, do. I've, I've I've killed plenty of things. Don't don't feel bad. Have you? Because Absolutely. I do. I do worry about this, and I think how how do I be better at the? And pots are hard <laughs> because you re, we've had so as you said we've had so much rain down here. Yes. Mm. Yeah, with pots, if it's raining as much as it has been, you really need to get the drainage right. Mm. So you need to be able to get the water mm. out of the pots. Otherwise, they just go all stagnant and horrible and smelly. Great. Well, that's what I've got, stagnant and smelly. So <laughs> oh, <thank> good. <laughs> Draw some holes that. in the bottom, you'll be okay. <laughs> I'll get Richard onto that. Yeah. So you moved from uh, a small place in Bondi to 100 acres. What's the garden like on your 100 acres? Obviously, it's not 100 acres of garden. but No, um, gosh. Yeah. No, it's, nice? it's well, Rich, uh, my husband breeds horses, so we've got horses in the paddock. So it's a very, uh, we're the, we are the, what are we, the western side of Barrel. So mm-hmm. Again, here's me, and you're going to love all of this because I just think in a former life I was English. You know, I love I, I love the Southern Highlands for the English gardens and the yes. green. And I've met and married this man who lives on the western side. Who it's pretty harsh up here. Mm. We're on the ridge line, and it's um, it, it's it's it was a this ridge was created however many million years ago by a volcanic eruption. Mm. So if you dig sort of several inches under the ground anywhere here, it's just rock. Yeah. So it's hard land and it's very native Australia. It's, it's completely not what you think of Barrel. And I've moved into his home, and which he has created beautifully, but he loves native gardens. Right. <laughs> so, but you say that with some sort of uh, reservation in your voice. Reservation, trepidation. <laughs> it's taken me a long time. You know, when you love the man, you've got to love the garden. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about natives and I find them quite, I'd, I'd never really been a huge fan. I never found them mm. to be terribly attractive and given, you know, knowing what I grew up with. And so Rich has sort of created a house within a landscape, he calls it, and a parkland. So it's mainly um, plantings around, I suppose we have a, a couple of acres of house, um, it, well, what you would say was a yard and a garden, but this, mm-hmm. it's not fenced. It's very, it's sort of a ha-ha going off oh, yeah. the edge of the ridge line into the bush. Yeah. Um, and just plantings around the place of snow gums, but, you know, old man banksias, um, hardenberger clumps. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very uh, – well, I have talked him into some white cedars okay. around the place yeah. because I didn't know that they were native. I, I'd always loved white cedars and then yes. I finally found out they were native. So I was like, come on, Rich, let's do it. You'll love it. It's native. Um, so, it's look, it's taken me a long time and there's still a lot I don't understand about native um, flowers and they're so clever it's yes. quite extraordinary to get to know them, how they how they regenerate themselves, how the birds react yes. to them. It's been quite amazing. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm like you, I guess. I'm used to an English-style garden, and that's what I, I get attracted to. And natives is a completely different look. Mm-hmm. And I think you only really appreciate them when you spend some time with them, mm. when you see the flowers, when you see how the birds interact with them, when you, they do all those amazing things. Uh, and they can be fantastic. And I love the idea that you've got... Uh, a house in a landscape that's a great way to look at a large-scale garden because a large-scale garden can be anything you want it to be but to really have it settled into the landscape would would be really lovely i'll have to come and visit you you're welcome you and juliet welcome anytime and your you boys would love it because there's a hundred acres to run around and it's yeah. terrific here because we have friends down from sydney we just go down into the paddock and have a bonfire and have a glass of red it's a really lovely lifestyle and yes you part of my and this is where I, I when when i was invited on your podcast i i was jumped at it because i want to pick your brains i i want to try and merge it's the way of the future in this country we can't mm-hmm. have english gardens in a country that I know we're in the middle of La Nina Mark III, but, you know, normally we have no water. So we just can't do English gardens the way yes. we have. So we have to embrace natives. But I like the idea of a formal garden. Yep. So I, I want to try and work out a way that you can have native gardening, but in mm. a formal sort of, he- you know, I love avenues of trees. I yes. love hedges. Yes. And there's got to be a way to do that. Well, look, I don't think it needs to be strictly native. So it just needs to be drought resistant. So Mm. hedging, you could use something like Teucrium, which is a silver leaf foliage and Mm. makes a fantastic hedge that Mm. will give you lovely, you know, and consistent throughout because I think that's really important. Avenues of trees, you do need to pick sort of your, your native trees and pick them for shape. But there's so many that are being developed for exactly what you're talking about. If you think of um, the water gum, Tristaniopsis, Mm. there's a variety called Luscious, which is white stemmed, a white trunk, black stems, really glossy leaves and a very conical shape. So it's perfect for that sort of thing. Lovely. Yes. Yeah. I had, um, we have a terrific um, nursery down near here called Warrior mm-hmm. Pindi. And he yes. he um, prunes, <laughs> I guess pruning is the word, but he literally does it with a chainsaw, which yeah. the country girl in me loves. Uh, <laughs> his white cedars, he pulls them right back. So each year they sort of almost ball. Yes. And I think, you know, almost like a topiary. And I think, mm. how cool. I love people that think like this, that sort yes. of take what, what things could be and turn it on its head and make it a bit a bit different and a bit structured, you know. They just have a bit of fun with it, yeah. Yeah. Have fantastic. you been to um, Red Cow in the Southern Highlands? No, I've, I've oh. read about it, but I haven't been there. But that the, is we, an amazing garden. Amazing. Is it? I'm writing yeah. all this down because I, I do find we have a, a distinct lack of good nurseries down here. Well, I think the nursery trade has really suffered throughout COVID because they thought um, they got rid of a lot of their staff thinking, you know, doom and gloom. But Mm. then everybody got into gardening. Everyone really got their hands dirty and went and bought all the stock and completely emptied all the nurseries and they just couldn't keep up. Mm. So it's it's something where it's really suffering in in business and, um, you know, supply and demand isn't there. But finally, I think they're starting to catch up. So... Thank goodness all the gardeners will get their plants. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's, it's like everything these days. You go shopping for something, pots or whatever, and, you know, they, they look at you desperately and say supply chain issues, we can't get these in. But, yeah. um, you know, it's frustrating. And it, and it is. It's interesting to see the different way that people are changing how they live, you know, mm. the boom in the regions um, and not just out. I mean, we're basically an extension of Sydney down here, but, you know, I, I know Dad out at Wagga. Wagga is just Every Brooming. time you visit, yeah. it's there's another suburb on the outskirts. It's extraordinary. Yes. Yeah. 
It's nice uh, the way you say you, you use your garden. It's, it is a lifestyle change, isn't it? Just being able to go down to the fire pit, have a fire, be drawn out into nature, connect with nature. That must be mm. really lovely compared to um, a tiny place in Bondi. Oh, it's just, um, it, it just, I, at the risk of sounding like an idiot, <laughs> it just makes my heart sing to be able mm. to walk outside the door. It's so important to me to be able to potter around and and just create and I've had I've had fun with this because you you know this is where I live now so you make you mm. you know you make the most of it but I've sort of introduced this idea to Richard that there's areas of our garden which was sort of just like a corner of the paddock that no one went to mm. um there, there's a beautiful tree there or something but there's no reason to go there so I've put a little garden seat yeah in that under that gum tree that looks out over the and we sit down there and have a gin and tonic and and the, and rich said to me one day last summer oh my god you know i would never have come and sat down here before i was like rich if you you know build it and they will come if you put yeah. chairs in the garden or if you put a swimming pool in a certain area people will go and use that area it's amazing how people yeah. love being outside uh, a lot of people um in europe are uh, having a look at uh, the way they design their gardens and putting their alfresco areas away from the house you know mm. in australia we tend to that people are all about indoor outdoor flow and having the kitchen outdoor kitchen right by the back door but mm. if you put it at the back of the garden it it transforms the way you use the space. You have to travel through the garden to get that, and you will. And yes. it just it means you use the space. And that doesn't matter how big your garden is. People, like you said, you build it and people will come. Well, for instance, mum and dad's um, property out, out near on the Naranda Road, um, there was one particularly sort of ugly back corner. Mm. And we never, there was an old cubby house that, you know, the previous owners had put down there, but none of us ever went. We were too old for that by that point. And it was full of snakes. And mm. I mean, you wouldn't have gone into this cubby house anyway. And see, that's the other thing we need to Snakes are the, the, the biggest turn off to country living is the snakes. But mum put a swimming pool down in that back corner. And then we'd all just go down and sit there. You'd take a drink down there. You'd lie down there. You'd read a book yep. down there. And, you know, even mum was the one that sort of drew my attention to this, that she was like, you know, we would never have come and sat down here if it wasn't for the swimming pool. And yes. we were on the Murrumbidgee River, so we had a water view. had a big view. swimming pool. <laughs> you, were, you had a water view of sorts. Yeah. Um, the property was called Como and mum used to call it Lake Como when it flooded, which <laughs> Wagga's flooding right now. But, yeah. um, but, you know, yeah, build it and they will come. So I love doing that. I love using the garden. I love being in the garden. I love being productive. And then if the weather's right, which it often isn't down here, but, you know, I love taking a book out there or a magazine or sitting yes. on the phone out there. It's it's the best place to relax, get some oh. sun on you. It's fantastic. Do you get your love of gardening from your mum, you think? Yes. Well, I mean, Dad was a farmer, so he loved the earth. And, I mean, he made his living from, from nature and the earth. Yeah. But mum had the absolute knowledge. I mean, mum was one of, she, she was, I mean, she wasn't like you because she wasn't a professional, but she could tell you the names of them and then the Latin names of everything. Yeah. And I used to think, how does she know this extraordinary knowledge? Um, and it, I guess it's like country cooks, you know, they can make, you know, a dinner party out of the pantry. Yes. Country, country gardeners are the same. You just sort of t teach yourself, you know what you love. I guess over many trials and droughts and floods and insects. I mean, insects are, we, we forget about how much damage insects can do, particularly yeah. off the back of the wet weather we've had. The insects are just insane at the moment. Yes, well, not at the absolutely. moment, but they'll come back in summer. But the destruction, you know, I, I sort of still have that country girl thing in me that if I step outside and I see a, a grasshopper on the 
on the, you know, back veranda, I think, oh, God, it's a plague, you know, the garden will be devastated. You know, the fear that these insects can put in you is is terrifying. But, yes, definitely from mum. Mum was um, absolutely brilliant at this. Yes, I, I get my love of gardening from my mum as well. She recently, uh, well, she's been out from England. She just went just went home over the last couple of days. So it's been so nice to be out in the garden with her. You know, you get a lot from that being outside with loved ones. It's nice. It's it's lovely to pass it down through generations and get their experience. What does yes. she think of Australian gardens? Uh, she thinks they're very hot. <laughs> <laughs> She gets very hot and red-faced. She really oh, does. does. She? Uh, she's but starting to appreciate them more. She loves all types of gardens, which is good. And I tease her because her pruning is atrocious. She turns um, all my lovely, round, perfectly rounded, sculpted buxus balls into cubes. So she's not allowed. <laughs> she's not allowed to to prune anymore. At least yeah. she's having a go. But this is, you know, we we Rich and I recently went to London for a couple of weeks. My sister lives over there, and just for yeah. a holiday. And just to be back in, just to travel again, but to be back mm. in London particularly, and we went out into the country to the races as well, but the, the parks in London. Yes. And I, again, my heart just sings, you know, I just walk through, you know, Green Park and and it, it was just Hyde Park. It was, it, they just do Parkland very well, the English. We could learn well, a lot from them. I think that comes from the age of the trees that are in the parks. You know, they've got these amazing old trees. And I think that's what you get from a country property as well, the maturity, which is which is really lovely. You don't get the verdant green in, in Australia as, you, no. as you're doing, but, but that's okay. It's a particular shade of green. But trees, uh, funny you say, I haven't mentioned trees yet. I, I adore trees and mm. we have some spectacular gums on our place here. And it's fun. I mean, Rich, who's, you know, a bit older than me and has, was a farmer for a long time and he's very, mm-hmm. very knowledgeable about um, he's big on pasture and pasture regeneration and yeah. um, creating a good – and obviously we have horses so he wants to, you know, have his grasses as, as good as he can have them because mm-hmm. then you save on hay <laughs> costs. Yes. Yeah. But I, when I moved in here, I'd sort of – we'd walk around together and I'd say, isn't that a spectacular tree? And he'd go – I don't know if it's a boy thing, you know, go, oh, yeah, I've never noticed that one before. It's like, that is just, look at it. It's magic. You know, we have some really majestic gums on this place and, you know. They're, well, just... they're like living sculptures and I think oh. sometimes if you live with something for too long or or you only start to appreciate something later in life, you can forget about them. They can just yes. be a backdrop. So, Well, they're just there, yeah. Yes. But they're, do, you, they're... do you light them up at night? We have one. I ha- yes, there's one near the house that I'm just yeah. – because we've had so much rain down here and now yeah. we're having these enormous winds in from the south that we can we can tell when it's snowing in the mountains from the mm. wind we get here. And I am a bit worried we might lose a few because the ground is so wet. Um, but there's one near the house that is spectacular that I have lit up. I, mm. I, I sort of – I'm very capable, Charlie. I really do get out and have a go. <laughs> Good. I'll, I'll ask Rich to do things for me around the garden and the house. And, you know, if I ask him 20 times and it's still not done, then I just do it myself, you know. So do you do a lot of the maintenance around the property oh. in the garden? <laughs> or are you a delegator? Well, no, I, well a bit of both. But um, I, I, do, I wouldn't say – I mean, I will – I draw the line – I'm going to confess this to you, Charlie. Mm-hmm. I draw the line at whippersnippering. When Rich and I first got married, I said, "Just you just need to know I will love and not obey and honour, but I will not do the whippersnippering. I just won't do that. But I do do the mowing yep. and I love pottering in my garden. And Rich did, for my birthday, Richard made me some beautiful um, 
he's got these stringy bark timbers piled up and he made me some vegetable garden boxes. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky that he's got see, the equipment, he's got a bobcat and stuff, so he can put the soil in. Yes. So on, in that regard, I delegate. But I, I'm very capable. I really will. Um, I move pots around. I, I get out there and have a good Have go. a go. Yes, yeah, good. Very so much. What, are you into the pruning and that sort of stuff or is it uh, more secretaires yes. and... Both, both. I love um, I love pruning because I'm a Virgo. I'm a earthy girl. I love yeah. to get in and get it. I love to create order out of chaos. That's why uh-huh. I need to be in the garden because I'm such a Virgo. So yes, I love pruning. And actually, funnily enough, speaking of mothers, mum, um, these things that your mother hands down to you that at the time you sort of think, oh, mum, I don't care. I'm a career girl. Like you know, <laughs> she taught me how to prune yeah. a rose, and. Thank God she did, because now she's gone, and I, I every time I, I now do dads for him, and I do mine here, and and I think I'm quite a good pruner of roses. And Rich has created some under my direction, um, some hedges at the front gate, and I think they're calistamen. I think. Yes, and we're trying to grow those into a hedge. So. You know, I mean, you you could give me advice on this. Actually, if pr- if pr- I like to prune because then I think yeah. things grow faster. Well, pruning promotes growth. So with calistamin, you need to wait till they finish flowering mm. and then chop them back by about a third. So it'd be mm. really hard with them, oh. and they'll they'll bush up really densely, and wow. you'll get a really good display, and that will give you a quick hedge. Okay. So good. you can be quite harsh okay. with them. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah, you really right. can. But it's scary, isn't it, when you don't really know what you're doing to prune something by a third? You think, oh my god, am I going to kill it? Yeah, as a rule of thumb, most things can be chopped back by about a third without doing any damage. Wow. See, we're so. still getting frost. We've had a funny winter because it's been mm. – um, I was just thinking the other day, it's been quite mild, but then we've had – I reckon we have a frost a couple of times a week. So it's oh, right. still pretty cold here. It's a different type of gardening when you're introducing frost, especially when you're doing mm. planting and things like that. So when you're planting, you really need to ensure when you put the plants in the ground that you compact the soil around the root ball. Not, not compact it, but make sure the soil is in contact with the root ball because any air pockets will fill with water and, and turn to frost and that can kill a plant pretty quickly. So oh, okay. uh, I wouldn't be planting anything until middle of spring just to make sure the last frost is gone. Yeah. Okay. See that, and we're quite late to it. It's it's just totally different from Sydney, and and every I mean, goes without saying that every area you you um live in is is going to be different. But I remember my childhood near Adaminibi, where you know our spring would start in about December, (laughs) (laughs) and then it'd go for about two weeks. You know, like Mm. it was just so hard. So I sort of still have that mentality. I mean, the Southern Highlands is not far behind that, but it's, you know, I I go to Sydney all the time for work and it's, it can be 10 degrees warmer up there and it's an hour up the road. I know. It's crazy. I've got a place an hour and a half north of Sydney and the the temperature change is crazy. We still get frost, but it's so much warmer up there. Mm. So we can grow so so much more. It's Mm. great. We've had so much rain over the last sort of 12 to 18 months that, and and the heat has still been there. So I I said to Rich the other day, you know, I I can see before my eyes young trees that have grown several feet, you know, in in last summer. It was extraordinary. Well, this spring is going to be a ballistic growth, really, because we've had all that weather and it's going to be nice, all that rain and we've got all the heat coming. So stuff's going to, going to take off, you know, and mm. it's going to catch a lot of people off guard, I think. So you need to be prepped and ready to go with all your, all your maintenance. But um, have you got any advice for those people that have done a tree change like yourself? Because so many have after the pandemic mm. or are thinking well, about it still. 
And Charlie, interesting you are, because I'm just heading back into television and, and I'm helping out on Farmer Wants a Wife. So I'm mm-hmm. helping all these young, mainly young women who are thinking about moving to the country for love, yes. uh, like I sort of did. Um, and my advice, I, I, do, I think country people are very self-contained and luckily I grew up with this. So to come back to it was was natural and and wonderful for me but you do have to be self-contained you really Mm. I think gardeners are special people because they're quite happy with their own company yes um, and they're quite happy in nature so I think there has to be a connection to nature you have to expect that you know the wi-fi is not great you can't order uber eats it's it's going to be um a a, a harsher harsh is probably that's probably too harsh a word but Mm. it is it's a it's not as cushy as the city, really. Um, and the peace and quiet is wonderful, but sometimes, you know, it can be it lonely. It can be deafening. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you crave the noise. So if you can balance it a bit. Um, but honestly, I mean, it's just such a wonderful lifestyle. And I, I'm not even talking like really out of town like us. I mean, even mm. sort of around Wagga for young families, just to be even to be able to have, you know, a thousand square metres on a, a block in Wagga is wonderful. It's a great um, place to raise children. It's great for dogs. Like I look at Banjo, the Labrador, Uh and if I have to put him in the car to go back to Sydney (laughs) and you can see his little face going, no, I don't want to go back. He just loves it. He will just go out and sniff around, chase a kangaroo and, you know. So it's just a wonderful place to be. You mentioned you had a lot of kangaroos. How do you keep the animals and the horses, for that matter, out of the house garden? Well, we well the horses the horses we can keep out. Rich has just done a whole lot of fencing here because he's yeah. um, he's got broodmares, so he's got foals being born. I mean, spring here is spectacular, not yeah. just for the growth. We have baby foals; it's just yeah. so divine. Life everywhere. Oh, it's it's wonderful. And as a September baby, I love spring. But mm-hmm. um, the horses are okay. We the native animals. I mean, there just is no way. Just, you just can't keep them out. So you've got to work with them or mm-hmm. around them. Um, and they do a lot of, de- well, actually I find, I think it's, a, I think we have a, a, a couple of hares in yes. our garden and they do the most, they've stripped the white cedars yes. this winter and that's pretty devastating. Um, and we, I mean, we have lots of tree guards up here, but you just, you do the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. And hares are so difficult to keep out. With with larger animals, you can keep them out with spiky plants, berberus, pyracanthus, mm. stuff like that. We'll keep them out, but hares will still get through that. And they're mm. after that fresh new growth, which is devastating if it gets taken out, out of oh. a plant. You can try things like chilli and garlic spray, but on a, a large scale property, you'll be soaking everything in chilli and garlic every couple of days, especially with the <laughs> rain we've had. Yeah. Can you imagine? I, I have more time on my hands these days, but I don't know if I have that much time. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's, look, you would know this. Gardening can be heartbreaking. You know, yes. you can literally come out one morning and think, oh my God, what happened here overnight? Yeah. Um, and I've always blamed the kangaroos. And it was Rich that said, I think this is a hair. Like, I just don't think a kangaroo would strip something. And then you've got the wombat issue. We have a lot of wombats down here and big ones. Yes. And they will just plough. They'll snap things off. You know, you can tell where the damage has come from because the yes. wombat will just snap it off because they've walked over the top of it. Yeah, yeah they don't care. They no. don't care if it looks nice. They just walk through it. They're after the grass. <laughs> They're like the Labrador. They'll just yeah. barge through. But, but a hair will strip things. The kangaroos, look, I don't know um, – I was talking to some friends who live further out west and they've got a real deer issue out Mm -hmm. there. We have, uh, I mean, I've never seen so many kangaroos in my life as I have here. And 
and lately, and I don't know what the answer is, but I do think the population is out of control, dare I say it. Yes. Um, and big, even Rich said it the other day, big kangaroos. Like I've never seen, we had a huge buck who came in right in on the veranda and he would have mm. been taller than Richard. He was over six foot. Wow. And massive, like big across the chest. Like they're scary when they're Yeah, that yeah, big. they are. And dangerous, especially with dogs, you know. And... He, came, he actually, it was sad, he came in here to die. He died on our veranda, so he was sick. But you mm. sort of think, gosh, if he was if he was well. Yeah, he could eat the whole bloody garden. Bloody scary, I know. <laughs> and he could, you know, he literally ripped the Labrador apart. So yeah. um, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's it's a big population. I do think it's, it's bigger than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Mm. Do you have, uh, you mentioned you had a ha-ha wall. Is that, do you find that effective? Is that for the horses or for the kangaroos? Well, that's because we're on the top of the ridgeline. Richard, I love ha-has. I mm. think it was Richard's, I think Richard accidentally created that. <laughs> because when <laughs> I write, accident. I know, <laughs> I was like, oh, I love a ha-ha. Yeah. And he's like, what? <laughs> um, but because we're on the ridgeline, it just makes sense not to put a fence there and our fencing down here is southern highland you know it's post and rail and yes. where the foals are it's horse horse wire yep. but around the garden we really don't have a fence so you could just tell where the garden begins and ends by where the mowing is yes um and so that just runs to the edge and I mean, the Virgo in me, I, I'd like to go out. I'd like Richard to go out because I won't use the whippersnipper and, and just sort of trim it a bit. But he loves it. He a bit really, wild. yeah, this is where we don't always see eye to eye. Okay. He loves that wild, raw, untamed Native Australian look. And I like things to be a bit more neat and tidy. And but you can ha- you can have the neat and tidy around the house, and then it bleeds out into the natural landscape. Is that sort of a compromise? Your it's you're a sort of with? yeah. Well, that's sort of the compromise. Yeah. <laughs> Marriage is all about compromise, right, Charlie? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but look, I love a haha. I love. Um, I, I, when I was growing up at the, in near Adaminibi, we had one in the garden, and it was to keep the sheep out. So yes. that was a practical one and that was borrowed from England that, yeah. you know, mum would have created, mum would have asked dad to create that. So that was practical. But this one here is sort of just a necessity. Yeah, but they're a lovely way to, to take, uh, like, take in the view and have it uninterrupted. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's yeah. a really great way to do it. But you don't want your friends to come and have a party and fall over And not over know it. what they are. <laughs> no, no. Where have they gone? <laughs> I know. <laughs> we don't want anyone falling down the cliff here. But... No. Um, you know, as long as if they're well lit or, you know, it's a, it's such a great concept. There's yes. so many cool design. Like, this is what I love about gardening. It's such an outlet for creativity. There's so many cool ideas. Yeah, and having a large property, you can kind of try a bit of everything as well, which is nice. And I have to say, I mean, I you know, I live here in the Australian bush, but I do, I look at the Chelsea Garden Show and I look at what you do all the time and, mm. you know, and you guys on Better Homes and Gardens and I think... Oh, I love that. I love Graham Ross. I listen to all his tips on pruning. He he is amazing. He's got a photographic memory, so he remembers every single plant he's looked at. So he told me a tip of he used to take pictures of plants, and when he would take the picture, he would repeat the name out loud, and he remembers every single plant. He's like unbelievable. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. He's he's like the Bruce McAvaney of gardening. Absolutely, he is. He really is. He's such a legend. He does so much for the industry. He's amazing. Yeah, brilliant. But yeah. Uh, but honestly, I've watched um, I've watched your Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea, I've never been to Chelsea Garden. Have you Chelsea, not? Um, Garden Expo, and I it's on my bucket list. It is mm. really yes. I'd love to be there for that. We missed it this year, but 
maybe next year. Yeah, it's the the first social event of the calendar in in London. I th- we're going to try and go back next year. So, mm. I mean, it's such an amazing place just to be. Well, you're there for three weeks building this thing that stands up for five days, but to be around all these people that are like-minded and the creativity is, it's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, you have to go. It's very special. I I know you've you've done, it's on my bucket list and and, and I admire you for, you know, being part of that because that is quite a feather in your cap. Yeah, I didn't realise what I was getting into, to be honest. (laughs) I thought that would be fun. And then I got there and I was like, oh. (laughs) Well, it didn't look like that, you know. Uh, It looked like you knew exactly what you were doing. uh, I had been there a few years before, but actually doing something yourself is a completely different experience. You know, we've just come off the back of the Com Games and the Olympic Games and all that stuff. And I think that about the athletes, you know, they train so hard. And when they're there, Mm -hmm. they really have to turn it on, don't they, for that that yeah, short period of time. And, yeah, the pressure is... Um, but yeah. also being out of your own environment. It's like moving... To, you know, I used to um, know, even in Sydney, and I always loved when I was living in Sydney full-time, just creating a little community around myself. I always knew yeah. my dry cleaner and I knew my yes. shoe guy and, you know, and I knew the people at the garden centre. And so coming down here to, to live, I've sort of had to create that little yes. community again and find... You know, it's. I think it's really important when you don't know what you're doing like me to seek out people who do so you can get advice you know and gardeners are, uh, they love giving advice if mm. if they've learned how to do it they'll they'll tell you how to do it it's not like you know they're not trying to hide anything from you they want you to succeed as well which is what i love about it as well it's very generous it's yes lovely. Yeah. i love it and you've been really generous with your time sam thank you so much it's been great having you on and um, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing it's amazing oh well thank you charlie The inbox has been filling up over the break between the series and there are lots of community questions for me to answer so I'm going to jump straight into it. Well Tess from Montrose from an outer suburb in Melbourne has emailed through a question. She says she's got wild rabbits trying to get into her garden and she might even have a deer on her fence line. Do I have any tips to keep these pests out of her garden? Well for the deer you need lots and lots of spiky plants. I did speak with Sam about this and I would suggest pyracantha, berberus or even if you're in a warm area of Melbourne you could try a bougainvillea. The bonus of that is you'll get the lovely flowers as well. For the rabbits you need to make up a chilli and garlic spray. Take a litre of water, put three chopped up onions in there, some garlic and some chilli and spray it onto your plants and that should keep the rabbits at bay. Mel from Bowral has asked, well, she says, I love you, Charlie, and I love you too, Mel. The check is well and truly in the mail. She's made a tree change and is loving country life, but she's moved to a newly built home on two acres and it has no garden. So how does she start and where does she start? Well, first things first, go out and buy my book. That will give you everything you need to know. And then make yourself a priority list. You need to work out exactly what you want from the garden and put it in order of importance to you and then try and fit that into the space in a plan. You'll quickly work out if it will all fit. And if it doesn't, don't be afraid to get rid of the things on the bottom of the list. A garden with too much is almost as bad as a garden with nothing in it at all. Don't forget as well, soil preparation is key. Once you've done all the hard landscaping, make sure you get the soil as good as it possibly can be and your plants will thrive. Do you have a gardening question you'd like me to answer? Well, send an email to charlie at still.com.au and I'll try and answer your question across the season. I feel so lucky to have chatted with Sam today and I love the way she's really embracing the natural landscape around her garden. She's not scared to seek out advice when it's needed and she certainly does love battery power. The one thing that was really interesting for me is the way she's planning for the future and considering the weather and it is amazing that she gets in and has a crack herself.
Well, thank you for listening to That's How We Grow in partnership with Still Garden Power Tools. Do you need the tools to take on any garden challenge? Well, go to the Still website or head to your local Still dealer today. There are over 600 local Still dealers across Australia, and you can easily find your local Still dealer on the Still website. And on our next episode, we will feature Graham Collis from Evergreen Turf. He's one of Australia's preeminent turf growers. Graham works with a wide variety of leading sports venues to ensure they have amazing surfaces, from the SCG to leading golf courses. It's going to be great to speak to Graham about caring for beautiful lawns. And this episode will drop in two weeks' time. Don't forget to check out Still's blog with plenty of great gardening advice, as well as my key seasonal tips and tricks. And if you want to follow us as well, go to the Still Instagram at still underscore au. You can follow me on Instagram as well at charlie underscore albone. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.